This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Ha-cha! This is Phil Hester, and you, despite your best intentions, are again listening to the Two-Headed Nerd podcast or whatever it is. I don't know. What are you? We're a multimedia empire. Yes. Yes. Empire. Yeah. Keep telling yourself that. (laughs) Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area. It's our pleasure to welcome you to episode five of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. My name is Matt Baum. You can follow me discounting Suicide Squad's Oscar and defending Mass Effect at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. I mean, yeah, both things are worth doing. Yeah, hair and makeup doesn't count. Not a real Oscar. Is that what they won for? I forgot. Hair and makeup. And I'm Joe Patrick. That's JoePatrick116 on the Twitter where you can follow me. And I swear, this is Matt writing words in my mouth. Forcing them into your mouth. I swear I'm going to start... Using my own Twitter to post my personal BS instead of the show Twitter. It's true. He's going to do it. Nerd. We're uh, so proud of him. No, today I was using the Two Headed Nerd Twitter to post uh, jokes about uh, Oreo uh, Nabisco putting out all stuffing Oreos. Let's see, okay, that's perfect for Joe Patrick One One Six. In this week's episode, Joe and I cut into some prime X Men and share a banana split with the Suicide Squad. After that, we were so moved by the Flash musical episode. We'll be singing our way through our reviews of 10 of this and last week's comics during the ludicrous oh, speed man. round. I need, I need to warm up. Then it's time to play Ask a Nerd with our buddy, Phil Hester. And finally, Joe and I will review a whole damn omnibus. And it just so happens to be Phil Hester's The Wretch. So shut the hell up with your Mass Effect complaining because it's WrestleMania weekend <laughs> and that's all we should be talking about. Although I do not give a shit who wins the title. Brock Lesnar and Bill Goldberg, a 50-year-old versus a 42-year-old. I don't care. That's ages. How do you feel? I think Goldberg should win. No, he's not going to. It's time to talk about this week's nerd! Wait, who's the other guy? Big news. It's been a big week for comic book movie news and rumors. First up, according to the man himself, legendary writer, producer, and West Wing creator Aaron Sorkin has meetings planned with both DC and Marvel to consider developing a superhero project. Does that mean they're like bidding on him? I don't, I don't know. Speaking to comicbook.com, Sorkin said, quote, I happen to have meetings coming up with both DC and Marvel. I have to go into these meetings and tell them as respectfully as I can that I've never read a comic book. It's not that I don't like them. It's just that I've never been exposed to one. He sounds perfect. Mm -hmm. Just like Trump. (laughs) So I'm hoping that somewhere in their library is a comic book character that I'm going to love and I'm going to want to go back and start reading from the first issue. Aaron Sorkin is the Joe the Plumber of the comic book world. Wow. I love it. Now, this makes it sound like Sorkin is just looking for something to do on a lark. We are both fans of his work. No, it's not a lark. Okay, here's okay. Here's what's going on. This is, this is exactly how he phrased it. I want to do a comic book thing, and I made meetings with Marvel and DC. Let's not kid ourselves. Marvel and DC both approached him and said, look, you write the best dialogue porn in the business. We are known for our snappy dialogue through, well, Marvel is anyway, through all of our films. Whereas oh, yeah, okay. DC is probably saying, Oh my God, our dialogue is so bad. We need someone sure, to help right. us. <laughs> uh, so what property do you think 
would attract a writer like Sorkin? I don't know. I will say I will watch anything that Sorkin writes and even apologize for it. I love Aaron Sorkin. I even loved Studio 60 on the yeah. strip or whatever. It's and nobody show. cared about that show. It's a good show. <laughs> so I, he would be just fine as long as he's coming in to do dialogue and work in a story. Someone else needs to develop said story and say, okay, we're telling the story of... I don't know, uh, Avengers Forever, you know, where Kang travels through, Ooh. you know, whatever. And we need someone to spice us up a little bit and, and interject and give us some real humanity in characters. He's perfect. He could write Tony Stark all day. He could write Cap. He could write any of these characters. He's, always pr he's already proven that because they are just people. Are they superheroes? Yes. But at the end of the day, they're people, and people should talk like people, not like Ben Affleck as Batman. It's like a... It's like a Barbara Streisand song just then. <laughs> uh, so I think that he is at his best when he's working with ensemble cast. Yeah. So I want him on some sort of team project. Yeah. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers, uh, or hell, give him the Justice League and say, just do something better with this. Yeah. So an, an ensemble, an ensemble, a group that's known for a lot of like interpersonal drama. Mm -hmm. So like an X something X Men sure. related, yeah. You know, Avengers not really known for well. Or uh, are you kidding me? The Avengers films. Oh okay. Not necessarily known for a lot of like interpersonal stuff, right? It's all kind of big action. I guess it's they bigger. have small moments yeah, here it's and there. Bigger picture. Um, but like an X Men is just like nothing but it's a this soap crazy. Opera. Yeah. yeah. And uh, with oh, and by the way, Magneto or like a Titans project or something would oh, be perfect. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. Uh, or. Uh, a legal drama. Give him, give him a season of Daredevil. Yeah. I'm into it. Yeah, absolutely. But, but I want like Matt Murdock in court, like or ninety percent of Daredevil season three. <laughs> yeah, if that's yeah, the case. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. Meanwhile, Variety has reported that Joss Whedon. Never heard of him. You may have heard of him. Josh Whedon has been in talks to write, direct, and produce. Joss. There's no H. <laughs> yeah, Josh Josh Whedon. Yeah, you said Josh. Josh Whedon has been you in talks. You can't say it. <laughs> to write, direct, and produce a live-action Batgirl film. Since February, he's been in talks. Mm -hmm. And is close enough to signing to consider it a done deal. Uh-huh. The unnamed Batgirl film will reportedly feature other characters from Gotham as well. No shit. Whedon previously worked with Warner Brothers in 2006 and 2007 on a live-action one-woman film. Uh, he bailed on the project after disagreements with the studio. Before that, he was in talks with Warner Brothers for a Batman film. Instead, they went with Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins. Which, hooray. It was fine. Yeah. So, Matt, Whedon previously admitted to being exhausted by the big studio superhero machine. Is he the guy to save the DC cinematic universe? Okay. This sounds like super early news. So I'm just going to, like I like to do betting odds, betting odds of Joss Whedon, Joss, no H actually directs a back row. I love how you think that I don't actually know how to say <laughs> his name. <laughs> I'm going to say nine to two. Nine to two. I, Nine that's to two. Just nonsense. Iffy. That's not even a fraction. No, those are real odds. Those are real odds. So if you bet a dollar that he ends up directing it, you would win five fifty if you were correct, because it's iffy. They're they're tough odds. Warner Brothers is one of the biggest studios out there. That yeah, seems, but he did it with Marvel and Disney. Marvel also gave him a ton of control and mm. said, "You're Joss Whedon. We trust you." do it. And he had all the control in the world. He got to bring in the creators he wanted to work with, actual comic creators. I don't know that DC's going, that Warner Brothers is going to allow that. There's going to be major pushback if he tries to do the character in this lighthearted kind of Barbara Gordon way that we would like to see well, it right, done. Counterpoint, do you think that DC 
do you think Warner Brothers is the one telling Zack Snyder less color and mo more slow motion? I don't think DC is. Yeah, I think Warner Brothers is. No, there's no way. These are Zack Snyder movies. I, These are not Warner Brothers movies. They're Zack Snyder movies. Look, man, they all so, look remarkably similar, and it's because, yeah, because they want this the, style. Because he's the king of this universe. I don't see Whedon and... Fine, I don't see Whedon and Snyder working together well on this at all. I'm wondering if maybe people at Warner Brothers are starting to realize, oh... Oh, and we have actually heard reports to this effect where people are starting to realize, oh, maybe this is not the direction we should be taking. Maybe that million-dollar sepia-tone right. filter we bought is Every, <laughs> being everyone, overused. They're, like, <laughs> falling all, all over themselves saying, Justice League's going to be lighthearted. It's going to be great. It's going to be all about heroism Yeah, and blah, blah, blah. So maybe they're, they're trying to strike a different chord. I don't know. I don't know if Whedon's the guy. Uh, Whedon got a lot of flack for Age of Ultron. It's not... Uh, and it, and it it's wasn't, got a lot of problems. It wasn't perfect. It um, was still fun. I mean, I think that he is a great uh, dialogue writer. Yeah. And I think he's a good storyteller. I think and it's interesting that DC is like, oh, something just fell off the Marvel dinner table. Let's go lap it up. <laughs> sure. I, and I think that if we were going to, if you said, hey, gun to your head, would you rather have a Batgirl movie by Joss Whedon just about Batgirl or a Justice League movie with Superman and Batman and Aquaman and The Flash? By Zack Snyder, I would choose oh, yeah. Batgirl. I'll take Batgirl every day of the week. Uh, I don't know. I just, again, I've, we've been so poisoned by what we've seen from DC so far and what they think we want to see yeah. that I don't trust this. And I don't believe that he ends up directing the film. I really don't. Unless they're going to revolutionize things. Whether he ends say, up. All right. We're sorry. We did it wrong. We're getting guys and letting them do the work. Whether he ends up making the film or not. I hope that maybe this is a sign that they are starting to look in a different direction. Fair enough. Fingers crossed. In other Hollywood news, Marvel and Sony have released a new trailer for Spider-Man Homecoming featuring plenty of Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man, just in case you didn't know he was in the film. Like a lot of Iron Man. And our, I'm going to say all of it. <laughs> I'm going to say we just saw everything that Iron Man does in that movie. And our first real look at the film's villains. Plural. The Vulture, played by Michael Keaton, and The Shocker, played by Bokeem Woodbine. The Shocker! On last week's Cover to Cover, we watched the first official trailer for Zack Snyder's Justice League and felt nothing. Joey, how are we feeling about the latest Spidey reboot? So much better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so much better. Yeah. Instantly. It's night and day. And you can say, well, they're just following a formula over at Marvel, and that's correct. But you know what? I like that formula. Hey, but And you know what? The Spider-Man trailer was pl had plenty of quote unquote dark moments, right? Sure. It got super intense. Sure. The vulture is very scary. Absolutely. Uh, Spidey looks like he's having a very hard time. Yes. It, it's got these elements, these dark elements. Right. But it's not like dipped in pure blackness. <laughs> you right. know, it's and, got and a heart to it. Set on a PS4 green screen yeah, where everything's got, moving super fast and the contrast is so high your eyes are bleeding. It's got know? like a, a soul to it. Yeah. That the not to mention a bad guy <laughs> that we recognize and talks, not a bunch of oh, faceless man. enemies. I'm very excited punch. for Michael Keaton's vulture. I kinda am too. And when I when they first cast Michael Keaton as a vulture, I was like, well, okay. Yeah. But yeah, I'm excited. I mean, I knew now. they weren't gonna do like hunchback old man vulture. Right, but right. Yeah. Oh, Keaton's a great actor. He's I so like great. How they were setting him up as sort of an evil Tony Stark. Yeah. I mean, this. Um, you looks know what? Like it's gonna be great. It, it sounds like it, he sounded from the trailer very sympathetic, like almost as though he were a um a union leader, right? Like trying to fight for. Yes. Yes. Uh, like there's a reason why we might 
care about this villain a little bit, even though he's going about it the wrong way. Right, right. Whereas like Jamie Foxx was just like, you don't want to be my best friend. You don't remember me from our one interaction. (laughs) I'm going to murder your girlfriend. I'm going to kill everyone in this city. Uh, I will say this. There are several beats from the trailer that are going to be in this movie that are very similar to things that they had Tobey Maguire go through. Yeah. Including like the, oh no, he's got to hold two things together with his arms and he's really hurting himself. <laughs> and then oh, like, oh, he's trying to catch something from falling and he slides and catches himself on the ledge at the last second. Sure. It's like, that's what Spidey does. Guys, you know? Just like stop recycling oh, action shots from the earlier Spider-Man movies, please. But yeah, Tom Holland is great. Robert Downey Jr., like having him right there in front of Avengers Tower, like every time I see it, it's like a, a little static charge. <laughs> um, that kid is named Ned, but he is 100% ganky from Miles Morales' Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. The he, best friend. Oh, yeah, he's ganky. Uh, but he calls him Ned in the trailer. Right. Uh but yeah, I I think it's gonna be great. Me it, too. It's just it looks great. I am full of like hope and optimism. Right. That this is gonna be uh, a good movie and a great time and a fun experience, uh, which is just such a contrast to the the DC trailer. I can't believe it. In comic news, the artists drawing the previously announced Astonishing X Men relaunch have been revealed. That's right, artists with an S. The title debuts in July, written by Charles Soule and illustrated by a new artist in each issue. Because nothing helps with continuity, like several different artists and styles. (laughs) They're kicking things off with Jimmy Chung. Future artists include Ron Garney, Akko, Phil Noto, Greg Land, and Ramon Rosanos. Marvel editor-in-chief Axel Alonso said, quote, The threat facing our heroes touches on all corners of the X-Men mythology, so each issue, illustrated by a superstar artist, eh, We'll dig deep into one of your favorite pieces of X-Men lore. I mean, there's one superstar artist in that list for sure. Oh, come on. Superstar, Matt. Superstar. I think you can say Phil Noto. I mean, you know, he's how, he's up there. How many Jimmy huge, Chung. How many huge line-wide events has Phil Noto drawn? Not many because he's slow, which is why he's only doing one right. issue, I'm, I'm sure. But all these guys, look at the list. Uh, they're all well, Ron Garney's workhorse, but everybody else. I'm not else saying they're not good. Is famous for being slow. So you get one issue. We don't have to worry about being one. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, eye-popping surprises. The last page of issue one definitely qualifies as one of those eye-popping surprises. And it's bound to make X-Men fans very happy, end quote. Uh, I'm saying it's the return of uh, Beak. Yeah, gotta be. Fan sure. favorite. Yes. The, gold balls. Is gold back. balls, yeah. <laughs> the announcement was met with criticism by some, most notably artist Declan Shalvey, who said, quote, I'd kill for a top X-Men book with an excellent, consistent, creative team, just like the original Astonishing series. To be fair to Marvel, their A-plus artists can't keep a monthly schedule, but why not get a B-plus guy and make him a star? Make him an A-lister on a book like this. Other critical comments equated the lack of a regular art team with a corporate mentality that artists are interchangeable, which is seemingly supported by the big two placing a desire to double ship books over artistic consistency. Also, yeah. Marvel's big events coming out with rotating or with three artists on them just to get them out. Let's, let's talk about this for a second before we move on because there's two sides of this argument. And the one side is, look, people get really, really pissed when these books get bogged down in delays, but people love these artists. So here, have your cake, 
eat it too. You love Jimmy Chung? Here's your Jimmy Chung issue. You love Phil Noto? Here's your Phil Noto issue. Well, here's the other side of the argument then. Some see this announcement as a way to make Astonishing X-Men an artistic spotlight. Right. Drawing in top talent for exciting one-off stories. Writer Kieran Gillen said, quote, I'd love to see an X-Men book done like Global Frequency. Right on. Totally. Traditionally, rotating artists downgrades the artist, but if you hyper-rotate, like every issue, right. it actually turns them into the lead instrument. The writer becomes the stage, and the artist becomes the soloist. I seriously see both sides of the argument, and I, I even, too. to an extent, support both sides of the argument. I understand and agree that it's really hard to get traction on an ongoing series right. when you don't have a consistent creative team. But right. I also really like the idea of it being a showcase, like like an anthology series, for these up-and-comers or, or A-list artists to come in and do really great one-off stories. Just sure. have, have it be just a fun book that you can check out. Yeah, and explore <laughs> some corners of the X of the X world that have been left behind or characters that we forgot even existed. I mean, the problem with that, that sounds like fun. Is that it's impossible to market something like that yeah. on a consistent basis. You're ex you're essentially writing an X-Men anthology. Right, but an for every issue you have drawn by Steve Ch uh, Jim Chung, you have an artist drawn by or an issue drawn by Ron Garney. Right. Who I also love. He's a guy's a legend. But you can't tell me that Ron Garney's going to sell books like Jim Chung. Exactly. And retailers are going to have to take a risk on that, and they're not going to gamble with and their own funny, money like that. Just last night, there was some stink on the internet uh, about a retailer summit where Axel Alonso. Marvel got, said some things out loud that Axel Alonso got we up all and, knew that they were thinking, but probably shouldn't have admitted. Right. But, and I'm not even going into that. <laughs> One of the things he did say, though, was that artists don't sell books anymore. Yeah. They don't. And there's. Two sides of that argument, too. Well, Marvel, you chased off all your great artists. Right. Or didn't... And it's all in the marketing. Yeah. Like and you, the people that you're trying to inflate now are fine, but they're not the superstars of your. I mean... Sure. How long is there a stable list of artists that they can really bring in to do this? And if artists don't sell books anymore, why are you trying to do this? Right. It yeah, exactly. I don't get it. Exactly. What's the point of this project? Yeah. If artists don't sell books, yeah. why are you making a book with rotating artists? Right. Why not just say, here's Charles Soule's Astonishing X-Men. The regular artist is Ron Garney. Go. Exactly. And quite honestly, I like Charles Soule a lot. And I think the X-Men. is not a superstar writer. No, he's not. But I think the X-Men is going to be a better fit where he can do stuff that he's good at as opposed to Inhumans, where I just did not care about what was going on. Yeah. I think he'll be fun here. I hope it is an anthology, but Marvel needs to work on their messaging and decide what it is. Are you right. marketing artists as superstars again and giving us like an anthology to show this off, or is this just going to end up another X book with a bunch of different artists because you can't find any one person to nail down and do the job? Right. And, you know, the industry has kind of reacted to Marvel's statements in an unkind way. Sure. Eric Larson, who's a very vocal person online, one of the image founders, uh, was there the last time something like this came to a head. And he said that Marvel's stance has been that artists are interchangeable since. Oh, yeah since day one and that's why image was formed yeah absolutely and yeah so you're not going to be able to create a stable of dedicated loyal talented right popular superstar artists when you're you'd rather just like swap a guy out at the last yeah. second just you, to make sure a book ships on you can't time. win the world series if you keep trading your best players it's that simple there you go there's Sports your inside metaphor. baseball reference it's opening day this weekend so i got baseball in the brain 
So that is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories and everything we missed, there was a lot of stuff from that Marvel Summit. Oh, yeah. Head over to the Two-Headed Nerd Forum's big news section. We'll talk about it there or on next week's Cover to Cover. There you go. Every Sunday, your favorite and easily interchangeable podcast host, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week in everybody's favorite digital nerd sanctuary, the THN Forums. Joey, what are we asking these nerds this week? I'm irreplaceable. Oh, please. I know all the passwords. <laughs> this question of the week comes from Brian Domingos, who asks, quote, let's say you could only read the catalog of one creator, writer, penciler, inker, colorist, etc." For the rest of time. FCO Placentia. Easy. <laughs> you have access to no other comics. Just the entire works of that one chosen creator. Who is it and why? Wow. Yeah. That's a tough one. Now listen, the question is harder than even you think. Why? You, like, you might not automatically want to just pick your favorite writer or artist. Why? Because think about how many different titles from different companies and different creators that... Dave Stewart has worked on. Oh. Or like letterer Todd Klein. Sure, sure. Right? Yeah. Like you could just like gut punch, say, ooh, Darwin Cook, boom. Like if I say, I'm reading Francesco Francavilla, then I have to read all the dynamite crap that yeah. he draws covers for. Well, I mean, you don't have to, but that's <laughs> like you can only have access to that library. Okay. So like think about it. What one comic creator from any part of, from any role, I'm going to say no cheating, no editors. Gotcha. No editors. You can't just pick the editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics. Yeah. No. Because editors don't do anything. Right. Okay? <laughs> they don't even count as creators. You have until 5 p.m. Central Standard Time this coming Friday, April 7th, to get us your answer. You can talk about anything from this episode or, obviously, the question of the week. Sure. The weekly news. Whatever. Uh, the Marvel Summit. All that. All that crazy stuff. You can call the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. Leave a message there. You can also email your mp3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Whatever you do, you've got two minutes to get it done. And as part of the all-new, all-different THN cover-to-cover, you will also be able to call in live using the Ziggurat hotline. We'll send out a tweet. We'll put it on the Facebook. We'll skywrite it over Omaha. We can't afford to do that. Local people only. Yeah, we can't afford it. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, we'll let you know when we're going to record. We'll give you some talking points that you can feel free to ignore. And then while we record, you call in live. You be a part of the show. It's awesome. So follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Otherwise, you're not going to know. You're not going to know. There you go. If you need more than two minutes, which I think Joe forgot to say, you only have two minutes to do it. I did say two minutes. Head over to the THN web forums. Join our faceless group of Hydra sworn listeners in the conversation. If you don't have the time or the stones to call into the answer of the week, the forums are the perfect place to rap about everything we do on the show and more. Bingo, bango, bongos. It's review time in the ziggurat where Matt and I throw ourselves on a couple of comic book hand grenades to save you guys from a grisly read. Somebody has to do it. Matt, you took a hit from the team. I did. Yeah. I did here. Let's talk about it. <laughs> I chose to review Suicide Squad, Banana Splits, the special from DC, written by Anthony Bedard. He's going by Anthony now. He fancy. What? And Mark Russell with art by Ben Caldwell and some other people. 48 pages. Howard Porter. For $4.99. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Here is your solicit because... You need to know what's going on here. 
Suicide splits! Mistaken for metahumans, thrown in the bowels of Bell Rev, the animal rock band Banana Splits are recruited by Amanda Waller for a secret mission to save the Suicide Squad. Because fifth week. What follows in the weirdest <laughs> team up you never thought you'd see? How can Flegel, Bingo, Drooper, and Snorky stand up to Harley, Deadshot, Katana, and Croc? And in the backup feature, Snagglepuss is a Southern Gothic playwright working with an ensemble cast of cultural figures exploring an intensely creative time in the New York City theater scene of the 1950s. It's way more interesting than that sounds. <laughs> I mean, that sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Let's be honest here. I only picked this comic for the Snagglepuss preview. And I'll get to that. But... When picking up a DC Hanna-Barbera crossover, it's easy not to expect much, especially when the banana splits are crossing over with DC's current Suicide Squad. There is a lot to take in here. Keep in mind, all these DC Barbera-verse comics are part of a fifth-week event, so it's not clear if any of this counts towards yes, anything. Yes, it's clear. None of it matters. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, with that in mind, for no reason other than crossover, the banana splits are... In the DCU, not shunted there, not pulled there through some cosmic accident, just there. Driving around and getting pulled over by the cops. Again, for no reason other than Bedard needed a way to get them into prison. One of the splits reach into, reaches into his wallet and, in a situation ripped from the headlines, the cops open fire! And then it's the big house for the band. Just because of crossover reasons. <laughs> Not just any prison, though. I feel like you've never read a crossover before. Bell Rev prison. Well, I mean, it was just like, it happened so quickly. Yeah, because it's like a 20-page, one-issue story. Know, Things are happening very fast. I'll get to that. Why does no one know who they are, I have to ask? They had because hits back in the day. Because uh, they they're a crappy that. band. I mean, I get it, but they had big hits back in the day, according to them. Have they been touring all this time? Am I thinking about this too much? They're, maybe they're just doing, like, <laughs> casino shows these I don't days, know. right? Yeah, maybe they're on the State Fair circuit. Yeah, and, after getting yeah, opening for Kansas. After getting sent to the slammer, Amanda Waller immediately gives them guns and sends them to bail out the Suicide Squad, and Harley Quinn level hilarity ensues, including bits like Killer Croc making nom 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 noises and Harley being Harley. Or as I like to call it, millennial tumbler comedy. Or unfunny. That's another way to refer to it. Bringing the banana splits into the DCU just seems like a mistake when they could have sent the Suicide Squad into the Sid and Marty Croft U on a killing spree. Sort of an Archie meets Predator type Dude, thing. I wouldn't have wanted that. Well, that would have been more fun than this, I would argue. I mm. mean, none of the other Sid and Marty Croft properties currently have anything running in DC, so why not just murder them? It's not like we're going to get uh, what was the... Why not just murder him? A Land of the Lost Matt book Bomb. anytime here soon. Caldwell is fantastic. HR Puff and stuff I, is, I right. believe, what you were reaching for. I would love to see Katana split him in half. <laughs> Caldwell and Porter are fantastic on art here, but Caldwell cannot draw Killer Croc. That is the worst Killer Croc I've seen in oh, a man, long Oh, man, I time. disagree. Oh, it was so bad. No. no it's horrible. Stop His it. style is insane. Both their styles are insane, wandering between cartoon and manga, and it keeps the wacky story moving very fast so as to distract you from all the questions I've been asking. This was dumb, but I knew it was going to be dumb, so I guess it was fine. Luckily, the issue is saved by the incredible Snagglepuss story, which sees the other Pink Panther pulled in front of the House Committee for Un-American Activities as part of McCarthy's famous Russian witch hunt. Augie Doggy even shows up to meet Snagglepuss, who's imagined, as we said, as a famous playwright. 
I can't wait to read more Snagglepuss, but the art was almost a little too it was Jim Porter. Lee 90s styled for me. It was Howard Porter. I guess I just wish he was doing it a little more Hanna-Barbera looking. Yeah, I mean, he drew... Or even if he drew he everyone drew else... cartoon characters in his own style. If he drew yeah. everyone else that way and then drew the cartoon characters as Hanna-Barbera cartoon characters, <laughs> that would be so cool. I am giving this a skimmit on the weight of the Snagglepuss backup because okay. it really was well written. Look, I don't give a shit about the Suicide Squad. You don't need to pay for this. But I will say, after reading that backup, I went, man, I'm really excited for that. I could not disagree with you more. I thought this comic book was awesome. Like, no joke. Really? Awesome. Yes. Seriously. And I'm going to go in reverse. <clears throat> so I'm going to start with a Snagglepuss backup story. Howard Porter was a weird choice for the artist, yeah. but he was not the originally announced artist. Uh, they kind of switched it, and okay, yeah, I don't remember right. who was going to draw it, but Howard Porter stepped in and drew it at the last minute. I don't think he's involved in what's coming next for the character, oh, so okay. we'll see. It's a very serious story, the Snagglebush story, yeah. and, I, and I found myself laughing at a very inappropriate moment because up in, uh, for the whole story, I did not read it in Snagglepuss's voice. Until the part where he's describing to Augie Doggy the story of the theater fire. Oh, yeah. And they show him running into the theater and he says, the theater's on fire in flames even. Uh, yeah. And well, there was even that, an Evans to Murgatroyd. Right. But like it was at that point. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, shit, it's Snagglepuss. See, I had him in that voice the whole time. Uh, and I laughed and it's like, oh, no, this whole theater full of people died. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was, it was very good. The Suicide Squad banana split story. There's not, you are way overthinking it. It is a farce. It's a parody. I get it. It's, it's two groups of characters that have no it. reason being together. Um, and I laughed through the whole thing. Really? Yes. I thought it was very funny. Nah. Uh, there were moments like, yes, all of the ripped from the headline stuff was very cheesy and heavy handed. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then there's this, there's this panel where they're going to blow up this factory of evil robots and Katana says, yeah, we have to take out this factory <laughs> or else an army of robots in miniskirts are going to conquer the earth. And one of the banana splits says with a very heavy lisp. Yeah. I have that dream like twice a month. Yeah. <laughs> and I, like, it was very funny. And then at the end, they reinvent themselves like the NWA. Right. I mean, I'm giving it a skim it. No, like, I, I I thought Ben Caldwell's art was perfect. It's yeah. very cartoony. Yes. I thought his killer croc looked cool. I hate it. Not cool, but like in that style, I thought it was great. It was it was so tongue in cheek and so lighthearted. Like, and they chose the four members of the Suicide Squad that at least I moderately care about. Harley? I, I, I care about is the wrong, but like it wasn't like El Diablo okay, and okay. and yeah, don't hate. <laughs> right. Like right. it was four characters that are established in the DC universe sure. that are at least recognizable and, yeah. and can be enjoyable. Um, Look, I liked it more than I thought I would. I said that. I'm giving it, it a, no, like you spent the whole review trashing it. And then you said that the only reason to buy it was for the Snagglefoot story. I stand by that. <laughs> no, I thought it was a really, really fun read. I'm giving it a buy it. It looked great. It was very funny. I really enjoyed it way more than I thought I was going to. All right. Now I want you to go back. I'm ready. I want Joe Patrick. Yes. 
to picture yeah. the 1990s young, rosy-cheeked okay. Joe Patrick. I'm there. Going into the comic shop yep. to buy his X-Men blue and gold book. Yeah, I did it. To buy the return of the X-Men. They're setting it back up. They're going to give us the X-Men we've been screaming for, Joe. Tell I, me about X-Men Prime. I did it. I bought X-Men number one off of the rack at the South Roads Mall in 1991. Oh, I bought like six copies. <laughs> I was in line at Cosmic Comics. It was a whole thing. There was like mm. a parade, as I recall. All right, X-Men Prime, it's a one-shot from Marvel Comics written by Mark Guggenheim, <clears throat> Greg Pak, and Cullen Bunn. In other words, no offense to any of these three gentlemen, the hottest writers oh, currently working on. for Marvel. Don't do that. Look, I'm sorry. I, I have enjoyed Mark Guggenheim's stories. Sure. I like Greg Pak a I lot. too. I, we have talked at length about our relationship with Cullen Bunn. Yes. You do not kick off your big, huge X-Men high-profile relaunch and say, we're going to give the flagship book I, to Mark Guggenheim. I couldn't agree more, but that's anyway, neither here nor there. It's neither here nor there. <laughs> this, that's a marketing issue. Actually, that is here. It's not there. It All is right. here, and we have to deal with it. <sighs> Again, I'm really, really sorry. I, I, it's just... Yeah, anyway. Go on. The art is by Ken Lashley, Ibrahim Roberson, Leonard Kirk, and Guillermo Ortego. It's 40 pages for $4.99. Here's your solicit. Resurrection begins here! <laughs> In the wake of their war with the Inhumans, the X-Men are at a crossroads. Where do they go from here? Luckily, one beloved X-Man, X-Men, one beloved X-Men is what they wrote. One X-Woman. Has the answer <laughs> to that question. Xavier's dream comes full circle as Getty Pride! Returns to the X-Men, ready to lead them in their mission to protect a world that hates and fears them. The next chapter, yabba yabba yabba. Yeah, you got it. You get the idea. IVX is over. No one cares. The scary <laughs> inhumans are no longer a threat, and mutant kind is no longer living in fear of extinction. So now the X Men try to regroup as Storm brings Kitty Pride back to the fold, hopefully to succeed where she failed. Thus, Kitty goes on a magical mystery tour of the X Men's past. While a shady organization tempts Lady Deathstrike and the original X-Men strike out to chart a path for their own destinies. This issue is really kind of an anthology. You've got three writers here and they've all divvied up the story into sections featuring different sets of characters, each drawn by a different group of artists. The execution is fine, I guess, but none of the artists involved are working on the new books. Except for Leonard Kirk, but he's drawing all new Wolverine, and that book is not featured here. I don't understand. That, that, that decision is just bizarre. Yeah. It, it would have been nice to have each section drawn by the artist of the upcoming title that it was previewing. Right. And maybe a little mention of what that title to is going to be. To see what happens to Lady Deathstrike, yeah. check out Weapon X number Something. one. Something. Yeah. While the art is pretty decent all around, Ken Lashley's angular, flashy style seemed really mismatched yeah. with the tone of Kitty's story, which is like very personal and yeah. conversational. And his character faces have a tendency to get weirdly grotesque. Uh, yeah, I couldn't help but notice. Yeah. Also, I laughed every time the writers tried to have a tender moment where Kitty mentions how the mansion still feels like home or she sees the kids outside enjoying a nice game of basketball. Meanwhile, a fiery hellscape rages all around right. them because Ilyana transported the mansion to limbo a while back. Right. This issue actually did succeed in turning me around on a couple of concepts between this issue and the events of this week's all new X-Men, a definitive and clever 
answer has been given to the question of why the teenage original X-Men have not and cannot return to their own timeline. Okay, see, I'm not reading New X-Men. I read it, I saw it in a news story. Okay, so, so I didn't read it either. When I read it here, I just went, all right. They pay it, they pay it lip service here. <laughs> you really didn't give me anything there. Yeah, they, they pay it lip service here. They do a better job setting it up in all new X-Men yeah, this week. Because they're like, we tried to go back, didn't work. Right, but there's like a reason why. Okay. X-Men Prime also reveals more about the true nature of the upcoming Weapon X title. And I'm not going to spoil what little were shown here. But that book is not just going to be about a team of Black Ops X-Men. Right. Like I originally thought. There's way more to it. And if nothing else, I need to see how the legal logistics work out for Kitty's new plan for the X-Mansion. Let's just talk about it. it let's just let's spoil this one thing. All right. Here's a spoiler for the last page of X-Men Prime. Yeah. They have teleported the mansion out of limbo. And instead of going back to Westchester or now, somewhere else, Ileana can do whatever she wants. Well, she's her, still just teleporting. Uh, yeah, but her power is it's basically very big anything teleporting. you need it to be. <laughs> so now the X-Mansion has been plopped down straight into the middle of Central Park, New York City. Right. Uh, a park that is owned by the city. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's not like... No fences, no gates, homeless people poop there. I mean, <laughs> if we're talking about the X-Men who are constantly being attacked, constantly in trouble, oh, and how many times has the mansion blown up? I can't count it. And remove all of that and just think about it as a school full of actual children. Right. And uh, it just seems like a very weird thing that did not get thought all the way through. Yeah, yeah. Let's just say, okay, I want to put my school for gifted kindergartners here in the middle of Central Park. Yeah. The city would be like, no. You're we right. own that. It is city property. I'm going to transport it to the block where the wire takes place. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> so uh, maybe they'll address it, uh, but I'm kind of curious to see the fallout of this. So I'm giving X-Men Prime a skim it. It wasn't bad, and it did manage to pique my interest enough to check out some of the new X-Books, but it really is just a tool more than it is a proper story. Yes. It cleared the decks. It put characters in place for the first wave of resurrection titles, like a cog in a machine or a fuse that completes a circuit. It does its job, and that's really about all you can say about it. Yes. I'm giving you a skim it as well, but I'm giving you a skim it because, like you said, it's a perfectly good cog in this X machine. It sets up where everyone's going perfectly well. Where they are going, what they are doing, I am not interested in. I am not interested in this. Well, I don't know if that's fair because I don't think we know enough about where they're going. What I was given here did not interest me, mm -hmm. did nothing for me. And the way that they set it up where here's Kitty wandering a little bit through each of these stories, except for the Lady Deathstrike story, which was just sort of thrown in there. And I don't think, totally separate, yeah. I don't think they got the tone of Lady Deathstrike right at all i've never heard her talk like that or act like that i get they're trying to update her a little bit maybe but she's a psychotic murder machine period that's what well, she's yeah, always I mean, been she's psychotically murdered her person i mean i guess but she was also kind of relatable and kind of fun like, no. <laughs> she did seem a little goofy yeah and my point being here is this did not work period if you want to do a book like this yes you need to do exactly what you said get the writers and the artists for each book give us a little vignette that features each one. And if Kitty wants to talk about it as the new star. As like a framing sequence. Leading the school, whatever, fine. And then have a big reveal where they go back. The, they take the mansion out of limbo because that's just dumb. And put it <laughs> anywhere else but Central Park because that is even dumber. Well, I mean, we'll see. We'll <laughs> yeah, see. I just, it's just weird enough that I want to know what happens. Right. Um, it, you know what? It should have been like one of those point one uh, specials. Yes. 
where like that. it was like a five-ish, five short stories right. with like a framing sequence. Because uh, the way everything was addressed, it just, it didn't leave me asking any questions that I want answered. It just sort of like threw out part of a story and dropped it. The all new X-Men. We can't go back in time. Didn't work out. We're leaving for reasons. And like they didn't address anything there. This was a mishmash of artists that at some points I didn't think were very good at all. No. Uh, okay. Uh, Ken Lashley's art gets weird. Yeah. Uh, the person that drew the Weapon X stories I thought was good. No, it, that looked good. It's true. But it, they just mishmashed everything together, crushed it into one book, and went, there you go. You're excited now, right? No, I'm not excited. And they build this as this return to the X-Men we know and love, and it's going to have a family feel, and Kitty's running the team and everything, but I don't feel like this is a return to that. This is, I saw Cyclops, I saw Kitty, I saw Nightcrawler for one panel, I saw Storm. Everything else is a bunch of characters that I really don't care about. I don't care about the young X-Men. I don't need them. It's fine if they want to have their own book doing whatever with them, but this did not capture any of that old feel that I got as a kid when you brought back the X-Men to a place where I would like to see the X-Men. I'm giving this a leave it because I... And it's a lot of it is personal preference, but I also think the way that they put this book together just didn't work. The formula did not work. I know what they're trying to do. This didn't do it. I'm giving it a leave it. So that is a double skim it. No, a skim it and a buy it for Suicide Squad Banana Splits and a double skim it sort of for X-Men Prime number one. Now that we've both expressed our lack of feelings for these comics, we want to hear from you. <laughs> Head to the THN forums and let us know what you thought about this week's titles. For those who've been paying attention, you probably remember when Joe recently fell in love with the Hamilton soundtrack, not the musical, the fucking soundtrack, and declared his love of musicals. Um, this new infatuation. None of this. None of this is factual. Oh, this is absolutely true. I, I, I even asked Casey about it just to make sure. I never went right. around saying I loved musicals <laughs> this for one thing. New infatuation recently hit a fever pitch when CW Supergirl and The Flash both hosted musical episodes. So join Joe while he sings his way through reviews of ten more of this and last week's comics. I will just be talking through them during the ludicrous speed run. Speed, go! Helena Crash, number one from IDW. You know I'm not saying right. In a future <laughs> where coffee is illegal. In a future where coffee is illegal, Helena Crash is a black market courier delivering goods to anyone who can afford her services. When she refuses a job and gets caught in a gang war, Helena needs to use all of her skills to stay one step ahead of the enemy. So all she wants is a cup of coffee. This is a pulse-pounding, caffeine-fueled, sword-swinging, machine-gun-firing, car-crashing sci-fi adventure comic Wow! by writer Fabian Rangel Jr. with stunning art by Warwick Johnson Cadwell. Are you getting paid by the hyphen here? What I is know. The deal? <laughs> Which looked like the love child of Jim Mafood and Kate Beaton. Weird. This was a really great read. I can't wait for more. Helena Crash gets a buy it. Iron Fist, number one from Marvel. Last week, Iron Fist quietly relaunched in the wake of a mediocre Netflix series, and Marvel is hoping you still care. Ed Brisson writes the story of Danny wandering the earth, trying to reestablish his connection to his chi, fighting in underground gambling rings all over the world. It's a simple enough premise, and one that probably would have worked so much better than the Netflix show we got. Hit the ground running. Establish the other stuff later. You know what I mean? 
I really enjoyed this, but it strikes me as a title that might not be around too long, unfortunately. I am giving it a buy. Great art by Perkins. I thought it was great. Perfectly good story, and that's what they need to do. Strip Iron Fist down and tell us good, simple kung fu stories. It reminded me of Immortal Iron Fist. Yeah. The Few, number three, from Image. Eden Hale is an ex-soldier on the run from the oppressive government that she once wholeheartedly supported. I like that you wrote on the fun. On the fun. <laughs> the Few is set in a world not post-apocalyptic, not dystopian, but one that might be considered an uncomfortably logical prediction of where the United States could find itself if we don't write this ship soon. You mean if we don't throw Trump in prison. If we don't make America great again soon. <laughs> yeah. The country is divided between militias, survivalists, and an extremist government, and Hale is caught in the middle with a baby that she's sworn to protect. I hadn't heard anything about it before it was released, but writer Sean Lewis and artist Hayden Sherman are just killing it. And this was another great issue. I'm going to read this. This book was a great surprise. Definitely check it out. I'm giving the few number three a strong buy it. Judge Dread deviations one shot from IDW. John McRae revisits his favorite Dread story, wherein Dread tracks down a werewolf in the Undercity. Here, Dread gets bitten and becomes a werewolf, but it's cool. He's so badass, he can control it. <laughs> and everyone just seems to know that at first sight. Like, he shows up, they're like, oh, werewolf, Judge Dread, which they just know it's Dread. And then they're like, He's oh. wearing an outfit with his name on I it. I suppose. Okay, so they're like, oh, werewolf, Judge Dread. Oh, it's cool, he's got this. <laughs> like just instantly. No one is like, oh shit, shoot him. <laughs> McCray captures the look and the feel of the old 2000 ADs to almost an annoying effect. It was a little too British 2000 AD for me. And uh, I don't know. That's racist. It was fine. I'm giving this a skim it. Booster Gold Flintstone Special DC. Booster Gold bumbles his way through an adventure with the Flintstones cast, desperately trying to prevent a future alien invasion that he accidentally caused. <laughs> Writer Mark Russell delivers a really fun, satirical adventure that merges two unlikely sets of characters with art by veteran Rick Leonardi. We love uh, Rick Leonardi. Plus, Jimmy Palmiotti, Amanda Connor, and artist Pierre Brito reimagine the Jetsons through the lens of end-of-life care and assisted suicide. Jesus. It's really something. I can't believe it, but it works, and I had a great time reading this issue Booster Gold Flintstones gets a buy it. I'm telling you. Okay. These Hanna-Barbera team-up comics, all of them, they're great. All right. Jughead, The Hunger, number one from Archie. My second werewolf book for the week centers around, you guessed it, Jughead. While you were waiting for the woefully delayed afterlife with Archie, Frank Thierry gives us the story that guy? of Riverdale's hungriest resident with a new kind of hunger he can't control. Jughead is a damn werewolf, and he's killing the hell out of all your favorite Riverdalians. Thierry's story is dark and violent, but still manages to capture the gang's friendship, even in the face of extreme supernatural violence. Great art by Michael Walsh, too. I can't believe I'm saying it. Buy it. And I'm saying that because I don't have a good relationship with Frank Thierry. Not because the... Or Ar Archie, for that matter. Well, no, but the Afterlife with Archie stuff and like all the, the Sabrina, the Teenage Witch, both of which never come out, are fantastic. Uh, huge buy it. I loved it. Right. Spider Woman, number 17 from Marvel, canceled because nobody wants to see girls in comics. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Dennis Hopeless and Veronica Fish say goodbye to Jessica Drew and her supporting cast in an issue that nearly had me in tears. No joke. Jess is throwing a party to introduce her superhero pals to her new boyfriend, Roger, a.k.a. reformed villain, the Porcupine. Hey. When her infant son, Jerry, hits an unexpected speed bump in his development, 
Oh, there's a period there. Yeah. This is one of the best series that Marvel has published in years, and I'm very, very sad to see it go. Dennis Hopeless swears that they told the exact story they were intending to tell. Uh-huh. I think they would have kept it going. That's the classy way to say it. Thank yeah. You, uh, if you've never read Dennis Hopeless's Spider-Woman, please seek it out. You won't regret it. It was really good. Huge buy it. Inhumans Prime, number one, our one shot from Marvel. I admit it. I went into this issue with a bad attitude because like you and everybody else, I do not care about the Inhumans anymore. But I have to say, this wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. Al Ewing does a nice job giving each character a compelling voice, and the new direction for the royal family seems interesting enough. Not enough to warrant three ongoing titles, maybe, but whatever. The issue was completely derailed, however, by several different artists. I think just two. Smashing their styles together. Just two, but <laughs> it, it was a clash. like more than that. Yeah. I get it. I thought maybe these two were working on the new titles, but they're not. So Again, who knows? Why? Why, Marvel? Yeah, why? I, I, like, there were parts where I almost thought I missed a page of story because of it. I'm giving this a skim it just because it is... Al Ewing is a good writer, and I think he's doing the best he can with this situation. I'm kind of curious to see where it goes. Skim it. I actually think that the Royals book sounds really good. Could be. We'll uh, find out next week. I love the premise. I think that John Boy Myers, the oncoming artist, is absolutely wrong for yeah. a book like this. Uh, yeah. But, well, you know. Does a hell of a Joe Maduri impression, though. Sure does. I'll give him that. Transformers versus G.I. Joe, the movie one shot from IDW. All right. It's just as weird as it sounds. Keep up. Keep up. <laughs> Writer artist Tom Scioli has taken his fever dream concept of a junior high kid with too much notebook paper to the next level. Now, he's created the comic book adaptation for the film adaptation of his insane 80s childhood romp that never was. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's adapting a movie that does not exist. <laughs> Alien gods, giant robots, super soldiers, ancient prophecies, it's all here and more. Dressed up like your favorite toy franchises. Boundless imagination, insane art, and a blast from start to finish. Transformers vs. G.I. Joe the movie is a huge buy -in. Yeah, Tom Scioli's Transformers vs. G.I. Joe was wonderful. <laughs> Exo Man of War, number one from Valiant. No excuses here, people. I don't want to hear any more. There's too many Valiant titles. Where do I start? Start here with Matt Kent and Thomas Giarello's new Exo book. The story sees Arik living on an alien world, trying to leave his past behind him. Of course he can't. But the point is, it's a truly perfect jumping on point. Giarello has been working on Conan books at Dark Horse. He's wonderful, and he's perfect to draw this time-displaced barbarian. They do such a great job of paying attention to everything that Exo Man of War has done without intimidating new readers by the fact that they have 51 other issues to read. This really is a fantastic jumping-on point for Valiant, period. You want to read Valiant? You haven't done it in the past? Do it here. Buy this, buy this, buy this. Sock'em! There you go. That is the onomatopoeia of the weekend. Rock'em! Sock'em! It is the sound of Scarlet punching Megatron's lights out while controlling the body of Optimus Prime <laughs> from inside his head, Whoa. as seen in the pages of Transformers vs. G.I. Joe, the movie. Yeah. If you need more speedy reviews of this week's comics, head over to twitternerd.com and check out Hungry Hungry Hippos champion Aaron Myers and his ludicrous speed reviews. You should see that guy. He's locked. So many marbles. So fast. He's hungry, hungry. I could not hang. Joe, 
Were you aware that the bloodstone was left on all night and the Sanctum Sanctorum is flooded with mystic blood? Any idea who left it on, buddy? I didn't do it, it was Biggs! Yeah, sure it was. Now, grab your mop. I don't know if that's how the bloodstone works. Get in there. While you're soaking up this bloody mess, why don't you tell the nerds about what you're excited to read next week? Special mention to Aquaman number 20 because I spent the last four days catching up on Aquaman comics. It's great. And that book is awesome. It's really good. Uh, Aquaman 20 comes out next week. But my pick of the week is Black Cloud number one from Image Comics written by Jason Latour and Ivan Brandon with art by Greg Hinkle. 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Series premiere! Like, no shit. Yeah. It's number one, dummies. <laughs> Zelda was born in a world of dreams, and hers burned bigger than anyone had ever seen. Now she's on the run in our world, and the dreams bro are broken in her hands. But the pieces are for sale. The rich and the powerful are buying, and suddenly her world isn't the only place Zelda's running from. I don't get it. I don't understand the solicit. Huh? I don't understand what story they're trying to promote yeah, here. Yeah, I don't know. All I know is that it's written by the guys that brought you Southern Bastards and Drifter, Airboy, The Rattler. It's I gotta check it out. Yeah. All of these are people, all of those are books I like. Matt Wilson on colors, that guy is great. Yeah, we'll see, I guess. I'm excited for it. It was one of my picks for Drunk Nerds Guide to Previews, right. I think two months ago it yes. must have been. Yes. I'm checking it out. Matt, what about you? I am excited for the return of Penny Dreadful from Titan. This is number one, written by Chris King with art by Jesus Hervas. 40 pages for $4.99. The sellout and critically acclaimed comic series returns, continues the story directly after the devastating events of Penny Dreadful season three TV final. Ah! <laughs> it's all in caps. <laughs> Ethan Chandler, who was Josh Hardnett, finds himself unable to move on as he searches desperately for meaning in a world without Vanessa, Eva Green. Ancient words echo across the centuries, and he is called on once again to take up arms against the creatures crawling out of the night. Okay, can you briefly explain to me what Penny Dreadful is? It is wonderful. Is it a horror show? It's a Showtime Victorian horror series. But are they monster hunters? Yes. So Penny Dreadful is the sister of the woman that was taken by Dracula. I can't say her name. Uh, Mina. Mina Harker. Yeah, Mina Harker. Right? And her, she's like stepsister, sort of. Her and Mina Harker's dad are searching for Mina. And amongst, and in that process, they are plagued by witches. They are plagued by Frankenstein's monster. They are plagued by all these old Victorian horror tropes that are done so scary and gross Wolfman's? and wonderful. No spoilers, but there's a huge Wolfman thing that happens. <laughs> oh, Penny Dreadful was awesome. Is it scary? It is very scary. It is gross. It is amazing. It is super well acted. Is it too scary for me? Probably, because you're a pansy. But like, I if I like... love it. If I like monster fighting entertainment, you're supernatural. I think you should do it. I think you should whatnots. get into it. It's up on Netflix right now. You can watch them all. It is such a wonderful series and it only had a very small cult following. I think it was too expensive for Showtime to make. So it was did, full like, of movie stars. They only did like... What do you Josh mean? Hartnett and Eva Green are like big time movie stars. Well, I know, but it was on Showtime and not very many people watched yeah. it. So I think it was just too expensive for them to continue. So they let it go. I love, loved, loved Penny Dreadful. Titan's doing a wonderful job on the comics. Watch the series if you haven't, and then pick up the Titan comics. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Tenko King, Volume 1, A New Leaf, trade paperback from Toonhound, Toonhound Studios. <laughs> I'll get there. Just all right, all right. 
It's written and drawn by Tavis Maiden. It's 112 pages for 1999. Here's a solicit. Ten-year-old Flip wants to experience life outside of his village and travel to places he's only read about in the Forbidden Journals. A hidden village, a psychotic king, roaming bandits, a mysterious fox, and a magical frog are all that stands in his way. Okay, time out. Yeah, all right, listen. <laughs> Why did we pick this? <laughs> uh, Tavis Maiden was one of the contestants on Strip Search, which was a reality series uh, put on by the guys that do Penny Arcade. Oh, okay. Uh, where they assembled a house full of cartoonists. And things got real. And yeah, it's where they stopped being fake and started getting real. Yeah. Uh, and they like competed in these artistic challenges uh, and it was so it was real, like right. not like eat this bug or. Did, did anyone get drunk and take their shirt off and try and beat up their roommate? <laughs> no. Or have sex with Sylvester Stallone's ex-wife and then poop in the corner? <laughs> <laughs> what, like Flavor Flav? <laughs> no. No, that was, what's his name? That was uh, Mini-Me. <laughs> Oh, Vern Troyer. Yeah. Oh, the, that was on the... <laughs> yeah. uh, what was that show? I don't know. The, yeah. uh, the Surreal World. The Surreal Life. Yeah, The Surreal yeah. Life. Whatever. Um, but yeah, so it was this really great competition show where they um, kind of uh, guided and mentored and uh, and uh, challenged these cartoonists that are all super duper talented. Where can I watch this show? PennyArcade.com. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. It's a web series. Yeah, it's a web series. Cool. And Tavis is one of the contestants, and he's very good. And I saw that his book was coming out. He All did right. not he did not win strip search, spoilers. Um, but he's got a book coming out. Uh Toonhound Studios, I believe, is Scott Kurtz's company, the guy who does PvP. Uh so like he's making good, he's putting out work. I'm excited to see it. Cool. Yeah. And yeah, strip search was really good, very inspirational if you're an artist. I had a great time with it. All right. You're stalling. Get back to work. I'm going to go grab the shop vac. This is disgusting. In the meantime, you can pick up all of these comics at your local comic shop. Where does it even come from? Or you can use our THN Amazon link. We're working on getting a button right now. When you click it, you shop as normal, but a little bit of what you spend comes back to us because Jeff Bezos is an idiot and thinks that's a good idea. <laughs> I don't get it. Take advantage of it while you can, please. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> someday he's going to realize that the math doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> They're all nerds as good as you. Welcome to another exciting edition of Ask a Nerd, where Matt and I sit down with your favorite comic creators and help them with gotcha questions that are sure to cause some serious Twitter backlash. Oh, the worst kind. Today, writer and artist Phil Hester joins us to talk about what he's got coming next and the return of one of his oldest characters. Phil, welcome to the Ziggurat. Welcome back, I should say. This is like your 10th appearance on the show. It is. Thank you for taking I the think time. so. We can't get rid of you. I love it. One of your yeah. oldest characters has made a reappearance. How can you set us up? We've got we're sitting here with your wretch omnibus, which reprints yes. everything you wrote and drew about the wretch. And from what I understand, it didn't come in our proof, but there's going to be a new story involved as yes, well. I was going to say you, you have a prototype. You don't have the actual right. thing because Nuts. there's a story that I'm still working on. That's going to go into the, the final omnibus. Yeah. Well, I should say we had the I prototype, but we signed it as you and put it on eBay and sold it immediately. So we needed the cash. Knock yourself, see, how, <laughs> see how that works out for you. Did I'd like not to know. get as much as I thought we would. I'll be honest, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, 
No, I, yeah, I, I thought it would be kind of dumb to like, cause every, you know, it's one of those books where like the fans of a book sort of come out of the woodwork after it's canceled. Right. Or <laughs> it stops being like, right. I never knew so many people loved mythic until we stopped making it. Right. Yeah. You know? And I, I was like, yeah, where were you people in pre-order time? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> like it's like the wretch is sort of like a big star record. Like it never sold a great deal. It right. never, it never sold more than like 5,000 copies an issue. But apparently all like 4,000 of those 5,000 were to uh, burgeoning comics professionals. Right. Because <laughs> right. every time I go to a show, there's people that are, like talk about, want to talk to me about that book. You are like the and, guy uh, that wrote some of Cheap Trick's biggest hits. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So uh, Is that a compliment? So, I can't tell. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Alex Chilton was a master songwriter. Big Stars is an yeah, amazing right, band right. that influenced so many people, and nobody knows who they are. Oh, yeah. Like, that yeah, 70s show true. features a song. Their theme song was written by Alex Chilton. Everyone goes, oh, man, I love that Cheap Trick song. Like, and Alex yeah, Chilton everyone goes, in a band. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, you know, but everybody, you know. So that it's, I think that's probably the best analogy I can think of. Can you give you know, us a brief history of the wretch? Like where, just like when it started, right? where it came from well, in, in the early nineties. Um, I was, I was doing like swamp thing and a bunch of other work for hire stuff. And I was so, um, I was satisfied by that work, but I really wanted to write my own stuff. And I really wanted to do stuff that I could focus on storytelling a lot. Sure. And the wretch is such a, for people that have never seen it or don't know, the wretch is a silent character, completely silent character whose, whose powers come and go <laughs> and change from issue to issue. Yeah. I've noticed and, that. And story to story. And, uh, the only real common denominator in any of the stories is that they take place in this kind of like smallish mid-sized city in the Midwest that just happens to sort of be the nexus for all the weird urban legends that are sort of famous in America. So, um, <laughs> you know, any sort of weird happening is going to happen in glass city. And where was and, the wretch um, first published? The first appearance of the wretch, where was that? first? Published? Uh, it was in a caliber presents that, so you were um, never paid for it. Is what you're saying. <laughs> I'm sorry. I said caliber. I said caliber presents. I meant there are other there are other anthology that never paid anybody. Oh, okay. Negative burn. <laughs> negative burn. Gotcha. Uh, okay. I remember negative. We were trying I, I, to remember where we first saw it. Uh, so our friend Tim and his company Omaha Bound is is putting this book together. Uh, did he come yeah. to you, or did you reach out and say, he "Hey, I'd like to put, I'd like to bring the wretch back"? He did. He was. He's one of those guys that is of the age where like the wretch was like the weird indie book when he was getting into comics mm -hmm. and. And he knew that I had done, um, I collected it previously in three volumes from slave labor. Um, but slave labor is kaput and those books are out of print, but thankfully that's one of the books that I didn't ever sell any artwork from. So I have, I have all those originals. So they're, they reshot those. Oh, awesome. The new omnibus will be either from shot from originals or in the rare cases where things are lost or, um, they'll be sort of recreated for published works. That is so and I cool. think it's only on, I think it's only on two stories like that. Now that you're a big time famous Phil Hester and you can get anything you want printed, are we going to get more wretch or what? Are you going to make some more? Well, I would love to. I mean, I'm, I'm sure Tim is grinding his teeth as I say that 
because like I've been working on this 10 page story for the omnibus for like a year. He's in the corner um, shaking right now. We're looking at him actually. Yeah. <laughs> I feel bad because, because uh, originally it was like, well, maybe I'll do 16 pages, then eight, then 10. And, uh, well, my original, the very first inker I ever had in the book, Jim Woodyard is going to come back and ink the, um, the new story too. That's awesome. Cool. That's awesome. Well, Phil, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. We uh, are really excited for the Wretch book and uh, we'll talk to you soon. I will. Thanks again, guys. Once again, thank you to Phil Hester for coming on the show and talking about the Wretch. Uh, once again, you can order the Wretch book. You can pre-order the Wretch book by going to omahabound.com. There is a page on their site where you can select which tier you want, and there's all sorts of fun little extra additives that come with it. Support the book. Buy it. We're going to do it. I got to turn in this proof. I want the version that's got the new story in it. Yeah, totally. I might want that weird statue. I kind of want it. I don't know. Well, you heard us talking to Phil about the wretch, and now it's time to take a look at the wretch omnibus. Joey. Time to take a look. It's in a book. I, I guess hope you did we, your homework. Sir. I guess we gave the sales pitch before we told people how the book was. Sure. Yeah, we did. Well, that was that's a good thing. That's what we're gonna do now. Let's yeah. talk about the wretch omnibus. So uh, Phil touched on it briefly in his interview, uh, but the wretch is a character that exists in the town of Glass City, which is a place where it's any town, uh, Midwest, Iowa, Nebraska. Yeah, in that city, lots of crazy supernatural things happen. Constantly. Yes. Constantly. Uh, weird, scary demon babies show up. Yeah. Giant monster puppy dogs, uh, killer clowns, all sorts of crazy things. And the wretch shows up and without saying a word, takes down the supernatural threats to Glass City. Right. He is a silent, all black character with some white rags sort of tied to him. And he, I think he is sort of uh, an homage to Ragman a little bit. Phil loves Ragman. Yeah, maybe a little bit. And had to, he loves writing horror and he loves the supernatural. And he li there's themes of going into people's dreams and people bringing monsters into reality and people being haunted. A lot like Ragman. But I will say the wretch is a lot more lighthearted. It is dark. It is spooky at times. <clears throat> there's scary stuff that happens. There's people that die. But it usually every one of these stories are tied up with a nice little bow in the end and you feel pretty good about what happened. <laughs> right, yeah. And it, it, they kind of run the gamut and none of it is like dartle, no, slasher. Not at all. Each one of these, we should say, is a short story, basically. There's not a large overriding story because the wretch was a character that, like Hester said in his interview, he had been working on here and there for anthology books. So it's not necessarily connected other than by the character. Which allowed him to do right. It's whatever jumped from he wanted it's to do. jumped around a lot. It, right. I mean, it's the true creator-owned property in the sense that right, it, it exists in its own continuity regardless of whatever publisher is putting it out. The cool part about the wretch, and it's something that I have never really seen done with any other superhero, is like we said, the character does not talk. So no. we are forced to learn about the wretch through. Everybody else the in the book. Through the citizens of Glass City. Through the eyes of all these sometimes just completely unnamed characters that pop up and talk to him and tell him what's going on and wonder where the hell he came from. So it has this really nice mystery behind the character. He's not human, I don't think. He may have been at one point, but... It doesn't matter, though. It, it's not important. Like, it, who the wretch is and where he comes from is not really the point of yeah, the book. Yeah, the idea is he crawls out of the shadows, basically, and helps people in need dealing with the supernatural. And the idea is very simple. <laughs> it doesn't get bogged down in background. It doesn't get bogged down in 
like spawn esque narration and long thought bubbles, <laughs> like I just, hating his job and who he is. It's just fun. I this just is re- just fun. I just remembered the story. I just flipped through the book and got to the story where the two, the two kids that are constantly getting beat up turn into real life guar monsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to get revenge on their shitty brother. Yeah. Yes, a lot of it is tongue in cheek or it feels good at the end, but a lot of it is also very eerie. Yeah. Like tales from the crypt or tales from the dark side style. Like right. there's a a mom that's decorated a a, a child's room in in one of those um, star patterns, you know, that glows in the dark, like you could have gotten in the 80s or right. 90s. But the son from that display is alive and talking to the kid and oh, wanting yeah. the kid to do things. Yeah, it's like very creepy, gross style stuff. Uh, it, and yeah, it's just every story. It's so imaginative, and all of the all of the monsters are are so different from one another. And right. Well, and you can see Hester <clears throat> just experimenting with his storytelling here, mm-hmm. the way that he's throwing it out. It's almost like he challenged himself with each one of these. He said, okay, first thing I'm going to do is come up with this ridiculous monster. Done. Now I'm going to plug it into an everyday situation and force myself to tell a story around it using this character that's going to come take care of it in the end. And it was. You can see him just experimenting and getting better and better and better at his storytelling because this is over a long many years set, yeah many years that he mm-hmm. was doing these one shot stories i can't recommend this enough i mean just as something different as a quick easy fun read where you can really see a creator putting his heart and soul into his own creation making all the rules doing whatever he wants in a very familiar surrounding for a guy like me from the midwest This is just fun stuff. And if you enjoy Hester's work, which I know a lot of you do, go find this and pick this up. It's a really interesting look into his career through the eyes of this character that basically doesn't speak. Right. There's one way to find it right now, and that's through the Omaha Bound website. It's for pre-orders. The book's not going to be out for a little while yet. Uh, Phil is working on a an original story that's going to be in the final edition. There might be a retailer option. You can contact Tim and there's a link for that on the site. Yeah. Uh, So you might eventually be able to find it in comic shops, but right now get in on the pre-order, get some sweet swag to go with it. It's an awesome book. Definitely a buy it from me. Oh yeah. Big buy it. We didn't really talk a whole lot about like the quality of the writing and the art style because it's Phil Hester. And if, you don't know how we feel about him at this point, then you haven't been paying any attention. There's also like a fun batch of guys that worked on these stories. Oh yeah. I forgot to mention uh, that. You may have heard of like Jim Mafood inked a story in here. Scott Wegener, who co-created atomic robo drew a story in here. Yeah. Uh, We've got a couple of buddies that worked on it back in the day. They're nobodies. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, my friend Gary, he did not stick around in the comic industry, but Bruce McCorkendale, he's out there still turning out stuff. R.I.P. Still God, I miss Bruce. Uh, <laughs> so sad to lose him. Uh, Jim Woodyard or Woodward or Woodyard uh, worked on this book. Phil's like original inker on the wretch, and he's coming back to help with the the new story. Yeah, uh, it's wonderful. It's several hundred pages, but it reads quick. They're short little oh, yeah. bite sized stories. You'll burn through it. You can read four or five stories. Set it down. I like. I read it. I couldn't put it down. I read it in a couple of days. Mm-hmm. I loved it. They don't make stuff like this anymore, basically. Mm. And I you wish they did. Stuff like this. I wish they did. I'm glad. Uh, prop, huge props to Tim Benson for digging this out and making it happen. Nice yeah, job, absolutely. Excelsior! Oh. 
That is it for THN number five. If you like podcasts that blatantly shill comics for their buddies, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. I just submitted us to Google Play hey, this right. week cool. because an, a listener reached out and, and said, hey, you're not on Google Play. I was like, I'll take care of it. Are now. Bang. We want to send out a big old damn thanks Cheer. to everyone that supports this show on PayPal and Patreon. Some of you have not figured out that you're still paying us from both. Figure it out. Don't tell them. Jason Sachs, <laughs> I'm talking to you. He's rich. What Damon he Chan, I'm talking to you. <laughs> This show survives solely on your donations, and we can't thank you enough for all that you've done for us. And we're going to give you some cool swag in return. Access to donor-only content. The Phil Hester interview that we did yep. was like 45 minutes long. We're going to have the whole thing up on Patreon. It's going to be a Patreon exclusive exclusive for a while. Tim Benson's going to sure. get some exposure on it. But you know what? Any level. If you're a Patreon, yep. you all get it. You get it. Also, got our stickers. They're going out this week. Promise. Excited. Yes, absolutely. They look good. And I'm happy to report it's been raining nonstop in Omaha since last week. It and has. my sticker is still on my car. There you go. Oh, and before I forget, thanks to our latest Patreon patron, John Littrell. Oh, do we want his money? Ooh. I'm taking it. It was a little <laughs> bit wet. Oh. <laughs> kind of sticky in an upsetting way. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? It's going to pay for some of the sticker postage. Remember, kids, next week, it's time again for Teach and Cover to Cover. So call us live. Send us an MP3 or just leave us a message on the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. You don't even have to memorize it. You can go to our Facebook, hit the call now button, and it'll shoot you straight to us. Before we go. It works. We tested it. Yeah. Our weekly shout out goes to legendary writer Peter David. He's going through some tough financial struggles right now. David needs help. And if you can afford to give it, please do. Make sure. Oh, we'll make sure there's a link to his fundraiser in the show notes. I know it sounds like we're just saying, hey, give Peter David money. He is in an actual unfortunate situation beyond his control. And needs some help. Word to you, Peter David. And you look, are one of the best. It, one of my Peter favorite David writers. Is one of my, again, yes, one of my favorite writers. He's given me years of entertainment. Yes. I sent him some money. If yeah. you can afford to do so, I highly recommend it. I'm doing it, it too. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might start a show of their own and force you to listen to comic advertisements for the next Suicide Squad crossover. <laughs> this is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off.